0: Welcome to another impactful message from Cornerstone Church, where we truly believe there is one hope for every heart, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or view video of this sermon, visit us online at cornerstonerome.com. So anyway, Matthew 16, I'm going to read this to you. You're in Revelation, stay there. I want you to stay there because that's where we're going to be. I just want to read you the text we've been using for this whole series in Matthew 16, 18. Where Jesus was asked the question, who do people say that I am? Who do they say that the Son of Man is? And Jesus (laughs) was talking to the group, but Peter answered. And Peter said, well, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. important today to hear this, that flesh and blood did not reveal this to uh, Simon Peter, as much as flesh and blood still doesn't reveal things to us. It is by the Spirit of the Lord. And that's important to understand. I love what... uh, what she was just praying for you, that you would hear a word from the Lord. Because if you're here to hear a word from me, uh, you might get disappointed. I pray you don't, but you might. My better My prayer would be that you would hear a word from the Lord. Yes. That the Holy Spirit would touch your heart, and that you would leave here going like, you know, I feel like the Lord spoke to me about something. That's my prayer. So, he says this, he says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who's in heaven, in verse 18 says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, or my ecclesia. The word church is the word ecclesia. It means the called out ones. It is not a building, it is not a structure, it is not a formation of a uh, facility. It is a group of people that have been called out. Now we might assemble like this in a local group gathering, but Jesus is building his church, and it's the called out ones. It is people that he's building. And we build structures, but these things come and go, as you'll see as we talk through some of this today. Okay, so he says, I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth it shall be loosed in heaven. And so when Jesus is saying this, he is telling Peter and his disciples, for the first time, this is what I'm going to be about is building my church. He's not doing anything else. Everything else that we do is all man-made, and there's nothing wrong with it. Listen, I mean, you know, you can get into a number of things, but if you want to talk about what is he building, he's building the church. You're going to work on your business, and he will partner with you in that. But when it's over, your business will not be an eternity. You understand that? What you do with your hands, your work, though it is important, if all we do at the end of our lives is get to heaven and we say, well, we have done good work. That's great. But what on what we have done with our hands has eternity stamp on it. That's what he's building. And that works for me as well as it does for you. Don't think because I'm a pastor that means, well, automatically by default, everything that I do is eternally stamped. It's not true. There are many of things, and I'll show you in the scripture in a moment in Revelation, but many times in the Bible it says, there are numbers of us who will have done great things that we thought were for God. And we'll get to heaven and watch him go in smoke. And he's like, huh? I had nothing to do with that. That was all you, boss. Oh, man, I thought that was you. No, this was me over here. And it, that's just the truth of the matter. So he's building his church. It's important to understand that. And so when in Revelation, something interesting, Jesus contrasts now. He mentions the church here in Matthew to Peter in the group. But the church really has not been talked about a whole lot before. But all throughout all the other books of the Bible that you'll see, the epistles, what we call the letters to the churches, all the epistles after Acts would be, you know, go through all those letters that are there. Those are letters to churches, all of them. And when you get to the book of Revelation, and it's not Revelations, it's Revelation, it is an interesting thing because this is the Revelation. If you see it, if you look in your Bible or if you have your phone, if you look at the very first chapter, before you start reading, it will say something. Mine doesn't do this. Now, uh, I, I thought I would click, turn over the, so I could read it to you exactly. This is this shows you the difference of sometimes what happens when you get a, a thought-for-thought Bible versus a word-for-word. Sometimes it doesn't matter, sometimes it does. Mine simply says, Revelation. Now, does that matter in the scheme of everything? No. But does it matter on what I'm about to tell you? Yes. Because this is not the book of Revelations, it's not multiple revelations, it's one revelation. Now if you have a Bible, a different translation or a heading on your app, yours might say something like this, the revelation of Jesus Christ to John. Now I don't know if you, it may say something like that, it may say the revelation of Jesus Christ, it may say John's revelation of Jesus Christ, it may say something like that, but nonetheless. The context of what he's saying is this, it is, the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what this is. And in throughout this book, amongst a number of things we get get into, I'm not going to get into a lot of the other stuff that you might be like, oh boy, this ought to be fun today. No, I'm not getting into the, you know, stuff coming out of the sea, the fire and everything else from the sky. I mean, you know, we could have fun with that, but I don't have time. That's a lot to get into. The point is, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you take out fire, if you take out dragons, if you take out the sea, if you take all this stuff out of the context of that, you forget what this is about. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this was to John. Now, interesting enough, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give an account of some things pertaining to the church. John doesn't. But John does give it here. And this is the same. The Gospel of John is the same writer of the book of Revelation. Okay, just want to say that before we uh, read this. All right, Revelation 1 and verse 17, this is what John says. Now, in mine, I don't know what, how your Bible is structured. They're all different. But most of them will read. Um, if you look at, well, you can't zoom in on this probably, but on mine, it will say, here's John writing, John's commentary, John's conversation. But then when it kicks over to red, we all know who that is. Can we all agree that if it's in red, it's Jesus? We all can agree that, right? That's important because when, when we read this, this is not me talking today. If there's anything you get out of today, you're about to hear words in red, which is Jesus. And it would be no different, can I just remind you, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the very Son, or the begotten the Son of God, he, the word, became flesh. His words are spirit and life. His words are truth and life. His word is still him speaking today. Can we all agree on that? That's important because when I read this, don't just neglect this. Oh, this just is just this Bible reading. You're not getting more accurate uh, today than when you hear the words of Jesus spoken and read. Not because Jody's speaking it. This would be no different if he himself was standing here in front of you speaking this because it's his word words. Okay. So revelation one it says, John says, when I saw him, <clears throat> I felt his feet like a dead man. And that means for all the people who have such a bragging, you know, super Christian like walk that they think you're going to go into heaven and you're just going to party with Jesus. You're wrong. Those flippant comments like, Oh, I'm just gonna go give Jesus a big hug. No, you're not. Oh, I'm just going Hey, he's my bro. He's not your bro. That stuff drives me nuts. He's not your bro. He's not your homeboy. Jesus ain't my bud. He's none of that. No, he's your savior. And when you see him, you'll be just like John. You will fall flat on your face, and it might take a couple of millennia for you to get up before you realize, okay, okay, you're not my bro. You're Jesus. And then he'll probably give you a hug and say, no, I would have just given you a hug, but you acted so like this was not so special. (laughs) But you're going to fall face first, I think. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid, for I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. <clears throat> I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Remember what we talked about the resurrection? You can't build the church without the resurrection. Jesus just confirmed that again right here. For anybody that tells you the resurrection did not happen, or it was not appropriate, or whatever, Jesus just told you in red, this is Jesus, not Jody. I was dead. That right there ought to be enough. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Well, did Jesus really die? He just said he did. We either accept the words of Christ or we accept the words of man. But I'm going to tell you, these philosophical religious thinkers that are out here today that only live to be about a hundred or less, I'm not going to listen to them over Jesus. Jesus has been right time and time again. I'm going to listen to what the words say in red. He said, I am alive forevermore. And then what, what he says, I have <clears throat> the keys of death and of Hades. That's interesting. He says, I have these keys, but I'm giving you these keys. I'm going to give you the keys where you can bind and loose. Whatever you bind and <coughs> will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And I'm going to hold these keys. Interesting. He's got, there's two sets of keys here. You have a key, set of keys you can operate with. And he's got a set of keys that he's going to operate with. And his keys, he says, I have the keys of death and of Hades. This one translation says, of death, hell, and the grave. So in other words, what he's saying to you is this, you don't need to be concerned about what the enemy's doing out there. It bothers us, I know, but understand he has the keys over that. He led captivity captive. He walked amongst hell, death, the grave, you name it. He went in there, broke the whole thing loose. All those who were for a lifetime held in bondage. He broke all that stuff loose that could not become saved, if you will, before the blood of Christ was shed, broke them out. And in the same way that he broke them out, he broke you out. Right. And he still has the keys. So anytime you feel like, well, the devil's got me or I feel like I'm just in No, he still has the keys. And the, the enemy is not in control of your life. No matter what he tries to throw at you, he is not in control. Jesus is the one that is in control. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think this context of, of having the keys to death, hell, and of the grave. Or what it means like uh, when you led captivity captive. But, you know, if your ball team played yesterday and lost, that's not a good illustration. If your ball team won, it might be a good illustration. It depends. If they won by one score, that's probably not a great illustration. But if you ever see a team that puts on like a clinic, and like they're playing fifth string players. They went and got people out of the stands to put them in because it was so bad. They just said, you know, <laughs> we're all just going to go home. We're going to let the fans play now. It was that bad. That's the kind of win Jesus had. This was not a somber, like he barely won. He led captivity captive. When he spoke, they all just fell flat on their backs. When he walked amongst them, you understand his power and authority. They all freaked out because they thought they had killed the son of God. But he is walking around in the midst of the death that you can imagine the most awful thing of death you can imagine. He walked through it all and just looked at it triumphantly dared it to even raise its head up against him he is fully and completely in authority and in control over death and over hell and over the grave that's why you should not fear any one of those three but you have keys for the earth he has keys for eternity so john keeps writing though and this is what he says now back up verse 10 he said when i was in the spirit chapter 1 verse 10 on the lord's day I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. Now, we have what's called the, I don't have time to get in this. I don't even want to go to this. This is like a rabbit trail, whatever you call the things. Like, anyway, Feast of Trumpets is coming up. So if you want to read some stuff about this in Israel, what they do is, this is a time where they celebrate the Feast of Trumpets, if you will. And this is the blasting of the trumpets. And we don't have this. You hear, um, if you've ever been to a military funeral or to an officer, or maybe they've done taps or something like that, you've heard the bugle played. That's a very piercing sound. But this is more of an alarming sound. This is like, it, it's either a call to war or battle, or it's a call to attention. It's loud enough where it, it gets you in the soul. If you've ever heard one of these things, blown, they are super loud, it's just so far. But they blow these trumpets super loud, and so what he was saying is, I heard his voice like the sound of this, it got my attention. Like, in my spirit, it, it jolted me. Like, he was like, I, I'm, I am fully now in at attention of what's around me. And Jesus says to him, write in a book what you see and what you hear, or write what you see, and send it to these seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. These are seven churches that actually existed. There were seven churches that had certain culture about them, and Jesus had John write to each one of them. Now, I, I, we're going to read about these, and, and I want you to understand a little bit about maybe where we are today because there's a number of guys that have written different things about this, but I want to just show you before I get into some of the details of this, the, the seven churches. Let me show you a map. Um, this is a big map. Let me show you the first one here. So maybe you can see where these seven churches uh, were at, because if you're from the States or you've never left Rome, Georgia, you may not. This makes no sense, probably, unless you see it on a map. So uh, this is thanks to Google. Couldn't get anything better. But if you see, okay, so here's Turkey. If you see Israel down here in the bottom, Everybody see Israel? Yeah. We're going to participate. Everybody see Israel? Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. So once you go up to the left, you see the red dot. That is the island of Patmos. That's the best I can give you from a blown-up view. You see Greece. You see Turkey. You see Israel. You got your bearings, right? This is the Middle East and the Mediterranean Sea. Okay. We're going to zoom in a little bit now so you can see a little closer. So this is Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And you see the seven churches. They have a red square. Does everybody see those to the left side? Okay, great. So you really can't see the island of Patmos now because it's really too small and it's kind of hard to, it just wouldn't make any sense. So it's just off the map. It's not a very big island. Uh, When John was exiled to this place, he was exiled because he preached the gospel. And they got so tired and so fed up with him, the preaching of the gospel. I mean, he was the one, many of the other apostles and others, they were martyred for their faith. John, they tried multiple times. I mean, story, the legend story, whatever you want to call it, the writings have it. Um, and I say that that way because some people say, well, how is that possible? Well, if the Lord intervenes, anything's possible. But they tried to boil them in oil. And if you know anything about this culture, they were um, very much experienced in the ability to torture people. This is not somebody like us. They weren't little, you know, frady cats about everything. They knew how to torture people. They were like, sincerely, what you have heard and read about is disgusting. They would do it. Just to inflict pain not only on you, but on everybody around you. Just to make an example of you. They tried to boil him in oil, it didn't die. So they stuck on the island, figured, <laughs> put him in the island, you know, he won't have any problems with him, right? Except they forgot he had a pen and paper. And, you know, and that old saying says, the pen is mightier than the sword. In this case, it really is. So John begins to write what Jesus tells him. But these are the seven churches, they're all listed right here. And I'm going to show you, this is a. a now you that we zoomed in, you can see a little bit more at Patmos there. At the start of the line is out in the sea. And this is a basically what most people presume. This is where these letters originated from and where they went. So they started out, would have gone to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I wanted you to see this, and I may put it up again in a moment. Just take a look at this because um, it would make sense logically, don't you think, if you were transporting letters, if you were FedEx or UPS, whatever, if you were taking these letters and they said, hey, we want you to take these seven churches, these letters, um, which one would you start with if you're coming off the island of Patmos? You know, closest one. Makes sense. More than likely, that's what happened. But the interesting thing is, as you journey through these churches, the further you get, each one of them has something different. But by the time you get to Laodicea, it might be the one that's in the worst condition. And we can talk about it in a moment a little bit, but I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on each one. I just want to give you an overview. But I want you to think a little bit about where you're at right now. Where do you see the church in America at right now? Where do you see yourself in the church? And where do you think Jesus sees his church right now? Because each one could be different. You could say, you could say, you could put your church in one of these bullet points. You could say you could put the Church of America in one of these bullet points. You could see some of this in each different one. And the question today would be, what would be the Holy Spirit? What do you think Jesus is saying to you right now? So when he sends this message out to his church, these are seven churches, and I want to just I want to give you something that I think, and I think you would agree with me, but I can't make you agree with me, but I will tell you what I think. I think that these letters were written to their age. I think they were written to our age. And I also think they were written to the age to come. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I just don't think that he would have pinned a few letters down for a few churches on the outside of Turkey that are irrelevant to us today. I just don't see that. But I do see something in every one of these churches that pops out, and like I said, I'm going to give you an overview of them, but this is more of listening today kind of thing. This is in every letter, and it is this. I just gave you one verse, but this is in every one of the churches' letters, seven churches. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 6, this text is in every letter to every church, and it is this he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches now everybody for the most part unless you're injured or something like most everyone here has an ear at least one or two you got just two at the most but yeah. if you're a kid here, you might think if you have an ear why couldn't you hear is you he got a hearing problem well, what he's saying is if you have an ear be attentive to what the Spirit is saying, which tells me that just because you have ears doesn't mean you're hearing what the Lord is saying. Mm-hmm. And is it possible that we can be believers and have ears but still not hear yeah. what the Holy Spirit would be saying? Yeah. I, believe it is, I believe that's true. <clears throat> Another thing I find interesting is this, is that John is writing this, again, the Gospel of John, the Revelation of John, of Jesus Christ to John, the same writer in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all give an account of something you would have heard before. If you had been studying your Bible for a while, if you've not, you may have heard of this parable because it's probably one of the more talked about parables in the Bible. If you haven't, it's okay. I'm going to tell you about it. But I just, I just want you to think about this. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about this same context of he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Now, if you can guess what that parable is, um, it would be, let me just throw out a hint, has something to do with planting and farming and some seed. And so let's all say it together. It's the parable of the... Matthew, Mark, and Luke record Jesus talking about this. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. John does not. But John also picks up right here in the gospel or in the book of Revelation, this very thing again, if you have an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. And I just think for me, why would it be such an important thing to say and stop on before you read about these churches? Because I just think if Jesus had to say that to each of the churches, don't you think he might be needing to say it to us? I find that we have enough preaching today, enough gospel message today in America. in America. Let's just talk about us for a moment. Let's just talk about the southeastern part of the United States for a moment, okay? It's SEC country, so let's just keep it where it is, all right? If you want to drive it down a little further, let's just keep it around Georgia and in this northwestern corner, and then we could really all know where we're at, Okay. But I don't think it's a lack of churches, a lack of gospel, a lack of preaching, a lack of podcasts, a lack of TV preachers, celebrity preachers, whatever you'll name it. It's not for a lack of preaching that is our issue. Would you agree? Can you have access to any time you want it, preaching of the gospel? Do you have access to it? Anytime you want it, you have the Bible at your disposal and I can't even keep up with the translations anymore. I actually started deleting them. It sounds sacrilegious. I started deleting them off of my app because it's taking up too much space. I don't even read half of them because I don't use that translation. You have more Bible, more preaching, more podcasts than any other uh, generation on the face of this planet. And yet we would all have to agree. We're probably not where maybe the Holy Spirit and Jesus would want his church to be. So it can't be from preaching. The only thing it would come back to would be the hearing. And so it's not hearing physically. It's hearing spiritually. That's why in Ephesians, and we're going to start a new series after this on the book of Ephesians. We're going to go through it. But in Ephesians, this is why there's a prayer that Paul prays. I pray that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened that you might know what is the hope of his calling that is found in Christ Jesus. What does he mean? Your eyes, the eyes of your spirit, that your eyes, that your ears would be open. You could hear the word of the Lord. So let me read this to you. And then I'm just going to briefly give you a descriptive of these churches. But Luke chapter eight, I want you to read this parable and hear what Jesus said. Okay, Luke eight and uh, verse five. And uh, we'll, we'll put this on the screen for you as well. And this is the parable of the sower. And Haley and I did this while you're turning there. I'll, I'll share this with you. One year we were doing kids ministry. <coughs> and she had the idea that what we would do is teach these kids about planting seeds, the, the, the parable of the sower. So the idea was we're going to show these kids. We got them all out there. And it was like the, um, what was this thing? What was it called? A mother's morning out thing? I think it was. What it was had to do something like that. It was, a mother, it was somewhere the kids were there consistently up to make it work. So the kids would come there. They were there every day or every week, something like that. And um, we planted intentionally these, these different seeds. We planted some in the good soil, some in the rocky soil. We just said some scattered this and that. Just like this parable says. And the funny thing was, believe it or not, it works. I don't know if you tried this or not, but seeds don't do well in the rocks. They won't do well if you give them to the birds. But amazing enough, they will grow really, really well in good soil if you water it, and don't overwater it, and keep the soil, you know. Anyway, so let's read it. The kids were amazed. That was so cool. They've grown corn, I think. This stuff started growing so high, we finally had to, broke their heart. We had to just, it was getting in everything, so we had to just get rid of it. Anyway, it says, The sir went out to sow his seed, and he as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air came and ate it up. other seed fell in rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it, and it choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil. It grew up, and it produced a crop a hundred times as great. And as he said these things, he would call out, watch, he who has ears. Now, we're not talking about corn right now. Y'all know that, right? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Same thing he said to John in Revelation. And his disciples began questioning at that point what the parable meant. And Jesus said, you've been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it's in parables. So seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. He is referencing Isaiah 6 and Ezekiel 12. And the reason why he said these people have heard and heard and heard and heard, and they don't hear anything. They have seen and seen and seen and seen, and they don't believe anything, which goes against everything that people tell you seeing is believing. It's not true. Because Jesus said, had the miracles been done in you, Capernaum, had the miracles that have been done in you, in your city, Capernaum, in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago with sackcloth and ashes. If Sodom and Gomorrah had seen what you have seen, they would have repented long ago. So it has no, seeing has nothing to do with believing. Oh, I've heard people say this so much. And it just, it takes away from the beauty of God's word. Oh, if there was more miracles, people would believe. No, they would not. You, you water down the gospel when you say that. Oh, it's just a dinner bell. The more we ring that dinner bell, more people... No, they won't. Oral Roberts had more miracles that were blunt. There was more miracles that took place in the 50s and the 60s on throughout than you and I have any idea of through these ministries. And where did that, what did that do today? You could show people today miracles. I can tell you to people. Take your people in this church that have had miracles. People don't line up. Oh, there's a miracle. Let's go see it. No, they don't. You know what they say? Oh, man, that's so great. And they go back to what they was doing before. Miracles do not move people. Let me tell you what miracles move. The person in the need of a miracle, they're moved. And they're grateful for it. The woman with the issue of blood, she touched the hem of his garment because she said... If I could just touch the hem, I don't need him to pray for me. I don't need him to lay hands. If I could just touch the hem of his garment when he's not looking, I know I'll be made whole. She believed before she could ever see anything. But there's too many people saying, well, if I just could see something, then I best I believe it. I don't believe nothing. <laughs> Jesus doesn't move by what you see. He moves by do you believe his word? Because his word is what is true. Let his word be true, let God be true, let his word be true, and every man be a liar. You best trust in the word of the Lord. All right, let me move on. So, the parable of the sower is here, and he says they've heard it so much, they don't even understand what they're saying anymore. Now, Luke 8, watch this. This is like baking a cake. Now, I don't bake. Haley bakes, I don't bake. I hate baking. Let me tell you why. Because you can really jack it up. Like, I have watched, me and my youngest, we get, all of us kind of watch this every now and then, but I watch a lot of these cook, cooking shows, and uh, I used to watch Emerald a lot, and they, I don't know what happened to him, and he starts telling toasters, I guess. I don't know what, what, he, I, I, it was fun to watch, I don't know, he just got out of that, started selling toasters. He's on the food net, on the QVC now, but uh, this Bobby Flay guy, I watched this Bobby Flay, and he talks about cooking, I can relate to this guy because he loves to cook, but he hates to bake. And there's a reason baking is precise. If you can't just guess, like, I can cook and throw stuff in. I can't. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Baking, if you, too much baking powder, game over. You can't fix it. You cannot take it out. You can't. This parable is like baking. Haley bakes, and it's wonderful. But I don't have the patience to sit and. That's One. That's two. And God forbid you don't get it right because it won't work right. But this is like a—it's like baking. So Jesus says, now let me explain this parable to you before we read over these churches. He said, the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Now listen today, hear what the Spirit is saying. <laughs> the seed is the word of God. Is it for a lack of preaching that we are in the place we're in today? Because there's plenty of seed, right? Yes. So he says, those beside the road are those who have heard the word. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart. So they will not believe and they will not be saved. What does that mean? These are people, if you're sitting on the side of the road and we're talking about planting seed, it's not going to work. So people say to me all the time, like, what's the big deal about why should we go to church? Why would she not? I'm going to tell you, this is why. There is no way you're going to make it and visit church on an occasional basis. He, he, will steal, he will steal from you left and right. And you won't even know he's doing it. And it does not mean that this is a perfect house. Because it's not. There's people in it. It's not perfect. There's a pastor in it. He's not perfect. So we're jacked up already. Thank God Jesus is here though. But I can tell you. Your chances of a harvest go up exponentially. Based on the environment you are hearing the planting of the seed from. So. And if you don't believe this case, next time, listen to your favorite preacher on a podcast, and I dare you to try to focus while everybody else is going on around you. And just see how much you're really retaining from that. Go put on a podcast and go try to do something. You're you're hearing it, but it's not really registering it. So next thing he says, verse 13. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy. woo Yeah! But they have no firm root, they believe for a while, and in a time of temptation they fall away. The word temptation here is testing. They, their buttons get pushed. Well, preacher, you said if I was to tithe, the Lord would bless me. No, I said be obedient to God. He'll open up the windows of heaven, he'll bless you. Yeah, true. But you got your part and he's got his part. But if you're trying him, I'm sorry, it ain't going to work. I've tried him too. It doesn't work. You gotta go all in. Well, I just don't agree with that. Well, that, okay. Here we go. You're the second category. I love you, but I ain't gonna just, I'm not gonna cut it short with you today. I'm gonna be real with you. If you, if you tell me, well, I just don't know if I, you're in this second group. You're not gonna have a harvest. The word's not gonna produce. Anyway, trials come. I, I can't take it. I got it. I'm done. Verse 14. The seed which fell among thorns, which is where most of us fall. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard the word. And as they go on their way, it is choked out with the worries, riches, and the pleasures of this life. And it brings no fruit to maturity. This is why Paul would say to the Corinthian church, he said it in, in Hebrews as well. But we, I'm, I used to think Paul wrote Hebrews. I'm kind of wondering now. But anyway, we all, most people say that. Anyway, uh. This is why he would say things to them, uh, I was with you X amount of years ago. Now we used to look at it from missionary timeline, three to five years. Some super smart Bible college student one time questioned the professor, so now it's seven. Okay, whatever. So I was with you seven years ago. Let's just count it seven, all right? Paul said I was with you seven years ago. And you was on the milk of the word. By this time you ought to be on the meat but you still have one that te- needs to teach you the very principles. You're still on the milk of the word. In Hebrews it says, by this time you ought to have been teachers. You're not any teachers yet. This is the group of people where the worries, we all have worries, do we not? You're in church, don't lie to me. <laughs> you, you have worries. <laughs> if you're sitting there looking at me right now, you're worried about, am I going to make lunchtime or not? You're worried. You're worried about all kinds of things. It just runs through your little mind right now. you worried about stuff. And, and it's robbing you of God's word. And, and you're caring about the riches of this life. you worried about, I get it. I understand. We are as impacted by everything going around as you are. I am not oblivious to what's happening around us. It, but I've been through a few of these. I just have. I mean, and I've watched time and time again. The riches will steal your focus. Nothing wrong with having it. Just don't let it have you and the cares of this life. Deceitfulness is just worries and the cares of this life. Worried about the future, worried about the um, um, what can I do, whatever. These things are where most of us occupy our lives at. And the only way we can uh, combat those things is to stand our ground and say No. You're not going to get my attention. Can, can we just all be real? Is there anybody in here that is not concerned about what is going on around you right now? I mean, if you're young and maybe like, you know, my kids may not, I'm teaching them some stuff. They may not recognize everything. But everything that you see around you is not to intend what I'm about to say. It's not to put you in fear. You already know this is true. If you don't, you must have, I don't know, You've been asleep for the last you know, four years or whatever, but... You know, we just come out of a pandemic, you see inflation, you see what's going on around you, it's hitting you just like everybody else. You wanted to buy a house, now you're freaking out because what happened? Well, I don't understand. Learn from it so next time you understand, take advantage of what's going on around you. Be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Don't, don't let the thing beat you, beat it. But get wise, learn something right now. Don't be afraid, learn, figure it out. God's people are supposed to be wise and smart, not fearful and afraid. But we're too busy we're too busy trying to just oh oh I just don't know what they're gonna do. Well this guy's in office until he gets a new election comes along. Deal with it. The whole time you worried about it, you could be learning something new. Yeah, but I didn't what was gonna happen in November? I don't know. Something's gonna happen. <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know what you're gonna get. We'll see. But in the meantime, I'm gonna pray. But I'm not going to sit there and worry about what these guys and gals are going to be doing in the next three to six months. I'm going to learn and figure out some stuff so I'm prepared for me and my household. Do y'all, are y'all with me? But this world will make you be afraid all day long where you won't do anything. And it steals the word from you, okay? Will not bring us to maturity. But then he says, verse 15, the, the seed which fell in good soil, these are those... Who have heard the word of God in honest and good heart, and they hold it fast, and they bear fruit with what? We should be a lot clearer, I think, with people as we come to faith in Christ. This is not an easy road. It's just not. If you're looking for something that's easy, you might need to go pick up T-Ball. Or maybe you need to go pick up, you know, wiffle ball, or maybe go play putt putt or something. That's easier. But if you're wanting to go through Christianity and think it's going to be easy, we're not doing a very good service to anybody by saying this is easy. You have opposition from the enemy. It's real and it's there. You're going to have to fight. You're going to have difficulties in life that you're going to face your faith is going to be challenged in so many different directions because the culture around you does not like it. You're going to have to decide as, as a person of faith, whether well, I'm going to yield to what the culture says or I'm going to stand true to my beliefs. Is it worth that fight for you? Like what is it? Is it going to be worth it when you come down to? And they ask you the question. <laughs> we as old rock and roll band, man. We we used to them like in the two thousands, I think it was, man. They had this song, called, "If Loving God Was a Crime, I'd Be in Now." No, you know, it was like this little cheesy thing. Y'all remember that? Oh, yeah. uh, yeah. I think it was like Big Tent Revival. It was it was cool, man. It's like some rhythm and blues, one of the first Christian rock and roll band. I thought this is awesome because all Christian music was terrible to me when I first started serving Jesus. I'm like, these guys are they stink. They can't play music. They're awful. They're quartets. It's awful. And then the big tent came out, man. They're like, if love and God was a crapper, I'd be in that law. It's like a little Bon Jovi mix, a little rhythm and blues kind of thing. I don't know if those guys are playing anymore. But what he was saying was, if you're going to follow Jesus, pick up your Remember that? That's in the Bible. And follow with the cross. Like, it's not like a paper cross. You can't put it in your pocket and nobody sees it. Like, yeah, I'm just walking. I'm cool. Nobody knows. Like, I, I got a cross in my pocket. That's not what he's talking about. It's a real thing. And I don't want to make anybody to leave here today thinking, like, it's an easy road, because it's not. There's challenges, it's worth it all. Yes, it is. But there are challenges. I do it a hundred times over, but it's a challenge sometimes. Because people don't understand you, they oppose you, they criticize you, they will lie about you. Paul said both those who are of the faith and those who are without. You know, you could kind of take the ones without, but the ones that are in faith, you're like, what? What? <laughs> but that happens too. If you're going to follow Jesus, you got to pick up your cross and follow Him. Amen. Now, briefly, can I just these seven churches? And you can read about these. I'm not going to read all of these in context of the Scripture for you, but you can go and read in, in Revelation, starting in chapter 2, and you can read each one of these, okay? Now, this is the one in Ephesus. Let me just uh, go through each one for you, and we'll start with Ephesus briefly. Just hear this. Now, again, I, I'm going to say this, and I don't know if you would agree with me on it or not, but I think you might Yesterday, today, and forever. Um, I read some, some of these old school guys. Okay, uh, Bullinger is one I really like to read after. You may not have heard of him, but E.W. Bullinger. These guys back in the day, there were no computers. Okay, these jokers were writing back. You know, years and years ago, when they had their they're super smart guys, and I really admired them for what they did. Tyndale was one of the, you know, also a hero of faith to me. God translated the Bible. Cost paid for it with his life. Into the English language, so the commoners, so everyone, every one of us, so we could have a version of that Bible. Because the priest, they, they would, didn't want him to do it. He did it anyway. So in Ephesus, though, when, when Jesus is talking to each of these churches, this is what he says to Ephesus, briefly. Let me just go through these with you. Okay? Ephesus, he says, I know your deeds, I know your toil, I know your perseverance. You can't tolerate evil people. You put to test those who call themselves apostles and they're not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But, I have this one thing against you. And you would think that he would commend them for all that. And he did. But apparently their hard work wasn't enough to overcome this one thing. I have this one thing against you. You've left your first love. You left your first love. Is it possible that a church could lose its first love? Is it possible for a Christian to lose its first love? It really is. And Ephesus is a very interesting church uh, or region. Ephesus means lovely. It means desirable. If you see it's a port city, it's very beautiful. But in the region, Bollinger says this, and I agree, A.D. 31, Pentecost to about A.D. 100, with the time period of this church speaking. If you read in Smyrna, and Smyrna, he says this to the guys there. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich spiritually. So that means even if you don't have a lot in the natural, you are more than wealthy spiritually. You have an inheritance. He says, I know your tribulation your poverty, but you're rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they're Jews and they're not, but are a synagogue of Satan. These guys were, they were awful. Okay, not, not this church. This Smyrna church was a great church. But these people were against them like crazy. And it says, "Do not fear what you're about to suffer." Now, this is not good news, but at least you get a warning. The devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested, and you'll have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until the death, and I'll give you the crown of life. This church Smyrna did not have a rebuke; they were a good church. It's very interesting when you read about Smyrna. It was a great, it was a good church. Um, no, No rebukes given to them, but they were persecuted numerous times by Satan and tried to destroy this church over and over and over again. Many of them were martyred. Many of them were burned alive. This was the time of Nero, some of the worst persecution ever. Bullinger says this, I agree. This church could represent the timeline of Nero to about 300 A.D. Pergamum. Like I said, I'm just going through these briefly. you. You can go back and read some more of this. Pergamum, he says this to this church, this third church. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness. He was martyred. He says, my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam. You have read some of that. If you hadn't, go back and read that in the Old Testament who keeps teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. Now, people ask this question all the time. Did Jesus ever say anything about immorality and about, it PG, about morality? Yes. Well, that's not in the gospel. If this is not in red, I don't know what color you're seeing, but this is in red. He is very clear about his stance on morality. Can we all agree? Thank you, Lord. Because, I mean, this just a whole bunch of people. They're like, well, he never said anything. Oh, he had plenty to say. We don't have time to get into that. I just thank God. If you want to know his standard, his standard is for all the men in the room, look at me right now. Keep your eyes right here. Look straight ahead. If you look at a woman in the wrong way, you've committed adultery with her. That's his standard. If if that's not morality, I don't know what it is. Now, all the fellows are like, oh, okay. Can we read again? All right. Didn't mean to scare you guys, but keep your eyes on your lady. There you go. Now all the women said? There you go. They like that. Keep your eyes on them. So <clears throat> you have some there, though, in, in the same way they hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, he says to this church, repent, or else I'm coming to you quickly, and I'll make war against them with the sword of my mouth. They... You know idol worship. They would eat in these meats sacrificed to idols. It wasn't a good thing. Their repent, their their thing in which they were told was to repent. This time period, if you look at this, most Bullinger says this. I agree. Somewhere between 300 AD, probably five six hundred AD. Okay. <clears throat> the next one is Thyatira. He says, "I know your deeds and your love and your faith and your service and perseverance, and that your deeds are late." are greater than at first, but I have this against you. See, they're all doing great stuff. Have you noticed that all these churches are working their tails off there? Every one of them has got something going on, but he says, I have this against you. Now, ladies don't take this because I know there's a woman here, Jezebel in Old Testament too. Somebody that has this going on in their life, it could be a woman or a man. It just happens to be in this case. There it is. Okay. But he says, I have this against you, you let that woman, you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, knows she calls herself a prophetess. Be careful of people who call themselves stuff. Biblically speaking, if you want a ministry gift, they're supposed to be there's the call affirmed by an eldership or a governing group of believers that says, We see the call, we affirm the call, and we send out the call. Anybody who self proclaims something, I'm sorry. You might be called, but many are called, few are chosen. Are y'all with me? Be careful for self-proclamation stuff, people that say they are something. Well, they said that they're a prophet. Well, yippee yay There's all kind of false stuff out there. In the Old Testament and in the New, there are things called um, the deceiving spirits. They are familiar spirits. It's how psychics do what they do. That one 800 psychic line y'all think's real cool? Oh, how did they know my hair was red? It's called a familiar spirit. It's real. Really? Yeah, that's why you don't call them. Well, I thought it'd be a good idea to get some numbers. No, you thought wrong. You messing with some voodoo, and the shaman man's coming after you. You better stop calling the psychic. Click, click, click. I don't know who that's for, but so I feel like somebody's like, really? No, I'm for real? But how'd they know my great-grandmama's name was this? Because the devil told them. But how would that be? It amazes me. Why do we believe so much more in them than we do the Holy Spirit? See, they can only show you stuff that has been. But I'm going to tell you something. He can show you stuff that's going to be. That's the big difference right there. He can show you things to come, prepare you for things ahead of time. I'd rather hear from him. than some psychic that told me, well, in 2013, you know, you was driving down the road. Well, that's real good. Tell me what's going to happen next week. That's what I like to know. They can't tell you that. All right, anyway, let me move on. God, goodness. Why does that bother me so much? Somebody here, you you really, you believe that? I feel like the Lord had me say that to you. See, so you came to church today. Good thing you came. You didn't know those psychics were leading you down the wrong path. All right. Where are we at? Okay. That is so weird. So this Jezebel lady that they wouldn't do anything with, they let her kind of, prophesy and do this and that and whatever but it got so far that she would lead her servants these his servants away and they would commit acts of immorality and other sacrificial offerings god is so gracious he is so gracious he said i gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality So behold, I'll throw her in a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation lest they repent of their deeds. God so grace even those who fall into sin with her. If they will repent, he will get them out of it. Do y'all see the goodness and mercy of God even in the midst of a crazy situation this church was in? Okay. This would be the time period probably more than likely, uh, Bullinger says this, between 600 to 1500s. The timeline of of AD up to the time of the 1500s. And Think about this. This was about the time where Luther and others began to preach. Salvation comes not by your works, but by faith in Christ Jesus. It is the grace of God. This began to be proclaimed and in the areas of Scotland and other regions where I would take you if you go. I can show you where men and women died and were burned alive by the hundreds for believing this versus going on with the priests who wanted to keep saying, no, you've got to pay your way to get into heaven. Pay your way to get into heaven. Now think about the timeline of this. So, Sardis, real quick. Sardis, he says, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds. Plenty of them are working. You have a name that you're alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which are about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Remember, what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come to you. He would say this, and I, I agree with what he's saying on this. Somewhere around the year 1500s to the 1790s, you could see this in the church worldwide at that time. This kind of attitude. Things were changing. Uh, people were accepting Uh, the gospel of grace, but at the same time, um, they were also kind of losing their footing. It got very commonplace. The next church was Philadelphia. He says, I know your deeds, and behold, i put before you an open door, which no man can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word, have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but they lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. No repentance called for this church either. Very interesting. This church had a massive open door for evangelism. They expanded the gospel like crazy. Think about this for a moment. In the time period of the 1790s to the 1840s, the expansion of the gospel went so far around this world, more people were saved on the planet than were ever born. In this, this time period that I'm telling you about, the gospel has been preached around the world in such an amount of time in this time period than any other time period before ever. Ever the expansion of the gospel. It grew so fast around the world, and today it is still multiplying at a rate so fast and so exponentially, we can't comprehend how many people have actually heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the interesting thing is this. He also says he's going to save them from great tribulation. I don't have time to get in this with you, whether you're a pre-trib person, mid-trib, post-trib, whatever. I just give you the details of the scriptures. It just says the Lord's people seem to always be rescued whether you believe in a rapture or not that either way i'm just saying noah's ark is a great illustration of something it seems like the lord always gets his people out And this last church that i'm gonna read to you about as we close up today is this is laodicea you can look at every one of these churches see them in, in past present future a timeline of the earth and in this last one is laodicea It's an interesting church. It says, I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot. And I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich and i become wealthy and I have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He, Bullinger, would say this from the time of the 1840s to present day would be the condition of church today. If you ever read this in in Scripture over and over again, and this is not a warning, this is just an observation. The Lord would tell the people of Israel, be careful when you get into the land of plenty, that when you build your houses, when you have your fields, when your livestock multiply, the one thing he said to them was what? That you do not forget the Lord your God. When you go into the land in which I shall give you, the Lord says, do not forget that it is the Lord your God that gives you the power to get wealth. I would submit to you, whether you would agree or not, I would submit it just for observation. This might be the condition of our nation right now. And it's already been that condition in other places and it's moved on. It can take you to Scotland right now and show you clearly what has had taken place. It can happen. So what does that mean for you and I? Well, interesting enough about this church, Laodicea, if you guys don't mind putting that map up as we head out today, I want you to see this one last time. That one with the little line with the trail on it, if you can show that. Laodicea was the furthest from the port. So you don't think about this much because you turn the taps on and you have water. It's just, there it is. Laodicea, if you look how far inland they were, and you would think, well, there's a stream there. <clears throat> so there is some water, and it's true. But the place where they had to get their water from, because of where Laodicea was, there was no water supply. They had to bring in aqueducts. Now, an aqueduct, it's been a while since we all been in school, maybe. Some of you guys are younger. Like, I know what that is. Okay. But they used to put the water on a pipe and just would funnel it down a long line to where they needed to go. This was in Israel as well. The Romans did this. They created this, or not created, but they really advanced it. But where Laodicea would get their water from, the source was not a very good water source. And by the time it was in those aqueducts for that long, the water, it wasn't cold and it wasn't hot. Now, hot waters, if you've ever heard in our state, um, the president would go in Warm Springs, Georgia. He would go so he could sit in it for his legs. Remember that? And it was, it was a healing property. So hot water would bring healing. It was healing to the soreness of, of the limbs and the soreness of life. Contrast that with cold water. When David was, was fighting back, he said, I long for the springs, the refreshing cold water. Cold water is nothing like cold water, is it? When you're hot, and sweaty, and tired, and you knock back some cold water, it's like, oh, so refreshing. This water source would make you sick. It actually would cause people to throw up. The word here, when Jesus says, I will spit you out of my mouth, it actually means vomit. And he says, Laodicea, you're like the water supply. You're neither hot nor cold. You don't heal, and you don't refresh. It makes me sick the thing I'm putting out to you guys is to understand where we're at in a culture and society in a timeline it seems like that possibly maybe just observation if we're not careful we could fall into the trap of becoming this and I don't want to be that I don't know about you as an individual but I don't think you want to be that either and it's not saying that we are it's an observation to say If other churches could fall into this, is it possible that another church could today? I said, is it possible that another church could today? It's very possible. So then what would you do to prevent that from happening? Well, Jesus gives us a clear illustration from this throughout these writings. It's called turning. And that doesn't mean like it's sinful things that we all are engaged with. But many times it's our energies. Every one of these churches were very busy about doing something. Oh, look at what we're doing. Oh, look at what we're doing. Look at what we post. Look at what we're doing. We're so cool. We're so whatever. But then, you know, if you really peel back the curtains and look inside where all the people are, ask yourself a question. I part of healing those that are sore and hurting and broken? Am I helping to refresh those that are thirsty and weary and in a dry land? That's the question this morning. That's what I want to be about. And I think that's what you want to be about as well. I want to help people when they come in, they say, man, I'm thirsty. Here's some refreshing water. Man, I'm, I'm tired. I'm sore. Guess what? Here's some healing properties But the Lord is the one that does the work. But he needs a conduit. He needs his church to be the people he's called it to be. And not get wrapped up in the worries of this life. The cares and the deceits of riches. And the pleasures of everything else. You can do stuff. You can have fun. Enjoy your life. But this world is designed to scare you. To pull you under. And to get you distracted. That's all its job is. So today, as I pray for you, here's what I would love for us to do is to take a moment here and just come before the Lord and ask a simple question this morning. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the churches. If this could happen to these churches who some of them were in the foremost beginnings of the work of God, it could happen to any church. So, right where you are, I would ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. And this morning, I'm going to ask you to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit with your own spirit. You can hear my voice physically, but I would ask that you open your heart spiritually to the Lord and see what the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning. As Jesus said, He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So Lord Jesus, we come before you today as your church. God, one of many, one of many, Lord. And Father, we submit to you right now as individuals in this room, we just take the next 30 seconds, Lord, and we say, Holy Spirit, What would you be speaking to me personally right now in your church? Holy Spirit, what is it that you are trying to tell me to do? Holy Spirit, what are you leading me into? Holy Spirit, is there something I may not be hearing because of the busyness of this life or the cares of this world or the deceitfulness of riches? But I come before you this morning and I ask you to speak to my heart. I ask you to help me to be attentive spiritually that I could hear your voice today. So Father, I ask you right now to impress each person's heart right now. Lord, there are those in this room that they have prayed, they have asked, they have sought you. And they're saying, would you please speak to them? I pray that you give them confirmations this week. I pray that you would give them, that be from a friend, a word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them in a dream or a vision at night. I just pray, Lord, that by your still small voice today, that in their heart, that whatever it is you've been speaking, they know, they know, they know that it's you. But maybe it just seems like it's too far-fetched or it's too simple or is this really God I just pray Holy Spirit would you give them confirmations today with other people in this room pray that you give them confirmations this week but more than anything else Lord I just pray that we would all in this room be sensitive to hear your voice God Holy Spirit would you speak to our church would you speak to the people in your church here God We want to be people that have willing hearts, willing vessels to do what you want, not what we want to do, God. We all have great ideas. We all have things that we want to do, but God, if it's not you, we don't want to do it, Lord. We want to follow you, Jesus. Help us in here, hear from you with our family, with our children, with our finances, with our lives, God, with our homes, the other things we have going on. I just pray you're not interested in just what goes on in the church. You're interested in our lives, and I just pray for those that are calling out to you at night, that are asking for wisdom, that you would give them the wisdom that they seek in Jesus' name. And I pray today, Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you and they're watching online, that they do not know you, I pray today that they would seek you and pray and come to know you today. While your eyes are closed and no one's looking around, I just want to pray for you right now. If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus Christ, you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to pray for you. The whole church is going to pray for you as well. But you have this in your heart. You just sense, I need Jesus. And that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, saying, you need to accept Christ today as your Lord. So as we pray, we're all going to pray together. You just pray and repeat this after me along with the whole church. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today. And I give you my heart. I give you my life. And I surrender everything. I open my heart, and I ask you to heal, to repair, to set me free, and to deliver me of all of my past. And I accept you as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer, we're so proud of you, church. Give me a hand, would you? So proud of you. Hey, so in the seat back in front of you, if you're watching online, you can do this online as well, Com. or in the seat back in front of you, there's a card you can fill out. Again, any of these cards you fill out, you can drop them in the offering box on your way out the door. We'll get them at the end of the day. But if you pray that prayer, we want to help you get started walking with Christ. Please take the time to do that as we help you in the area. We just want to make it help you become a disciple and following Jesus. It's a great, great thing to do. So I'm going ask our uh, prayer team to come down front. Everybody else, if you don't mind standing as you're walking down front. Um, Our prayer team will be down here. They would love to pray for you about anything. Maybe you're here. I felt like some of you, I don't know what it is you're asking God for, but uh, I know what it's like to be seeking the Lord and you don't seem to be getting an answer. There are times, there are seasons when that happens, but don't lose heart. Don't lose faith and don't quit asking, okay? James says, if you ask for wisdom, The Father of lights will give it to you. It might be that the season's not ready yet. Don't stop. Don't quit. Keep developing what you need to develop right now. Okay? Pray. Seek the Lord. Learn something along the way. Don't stop. You know? I sort of say, don't stop. Believe. Sorry. (laughs) Don't stop. Okay. The devil loves to say, see, God's not listening to you. Yes, He is. But there are seasons to things. Joseph had dreams and visions that did not come to pass until later. Just hang on. Don't quit and don't give up on God. Keep seeking, keep knocking and that door will be open. Keep seeking and you will find. But if you need prayer specifically, these guys would love to pray for you right now. I just feel like if you're here and you need someone to pray with you, don't leave today without letting them pray for you, okay? I just think it's very important. Then before we go today, I'd love to speak this over you. As a church out of Numbers, chapter 6 and verse 24. And this is uh, the blessing of God that comes from the, the priests there to, the, to them, at, from Moses. And it says this, May the Lord bless you and may he keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine upon you and may he be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you his peace. And God bless you guys so much. We love you so much. God bless you. Y'all have a wonderful, wonderful day. And giving information online as well as in the back. Thank you. If today's message blessed you, we want to encourage you to take a moment and share this podcast with a friend. Remember, there's one hope for every heart, and that's Jesus. See you next time.